and glad you're able to be here with us this morning. Our lesson comes from Matthew chapter 9, as Brother Paul read just a moment ago, focusing around uh, really the concept that we found here in verses 35 and 36, uh, where we have here Christ seeing the multitude and this moved compassion because they were scattered like sheep that had no shepherd. And we understand in context of Matthew 9, as we continue reading, that the desire was for Christ to, to take care of those individuals. We know that he would uh, provide for them, and he wanted to be their shepherd. He wanted to be the, the, his sheep and to come into his fold and things of that nature. But we're not going to be looking at it this morning from the viewpoint of uh, Christ desiring people to come to him, but we're looking, looking at sheep without shepherd from the viewpoint of what keeps people from allowing God to be their shepherd. God wants us to, to be his sheep, but what keeps people from allowing God to be their shepherd? And we look at, as we think about this, we know there are a host of reasons behind this. In fact, if you'll look uh, here, which we'll look at a little bit later, if you look at Matthew chapter 23, and looking at verse 37 here, and keep in mind this text as we go through this. So we'll be coming back and looking at this a little bit more later. But in Matthew 23, looking at verse 37, says, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you are not willing. That's Christ who is speaking there. He wanted them to come to him, but they were not willing. Again, why do some people not allow God to be their shepherd? We're going to begin by looking at reasons why some sheep do not follow the shepherd. Because there are some reasons behind it. There has to be some reason why people choose not to allow God to lead them, as we know from the Bible, as they should. And I think what first thing we want to consider is the belief that you know best. The belief you know best, meaning we think about what that means. Well, man often, by their actions, even by their words, believe they know best and that they will handle things themselves. They will handle things themselves, meaning they don't need God. They can take care of themselves. Well, this way of thinking has failed repeatedly. We find this throughout the Bible, and we find numerous warnings about this throughout the Bible as well. If we look at Proverbs chapter 13, looking at verse 15, here the Bible says, Good understanding gains favor, but the way of the unfaithful is hard. Because, again, if someone chooses not allow God to be their shepherd, to be their guide, what are they? They're unfaithful. They're either a non-Christian or there's someone who was once a Christian and is now unfaithful because God is not leading them. God is not the most important person in their life. And so we look here in verse 15 in Proverbs 13. He says, good understanding gains favor, but the way of the unfaithful. That's talking about the lifestyle of the unfaithful. He says here is hard. Let's be honest. The way, any way of living without God is difficult. And I think that is putting it mildly, don't you? It's hard to live a life without God being involved in it. Look at Proverbs 14, looking at verse 12. Again, a familiar verse. There is a way that seems right to man, but its end is a way of death. The way that seems right. We all, I'm sure, at different times have done things that seemed right. It seemed like the correct way of doing things in various 
instances on various occasions, only realized later that wasn't the thing to do. The belief that you know best is one of the reasons why people sometimes do not allow God to be their shepherd. Another reason I think, and I think this is a very big one, is what some may call your trust issues. They do not trust God enough. They do not trust God enough. And we, don't, we think trust isn't a problem, friends. Let's go back and look at the last 18, 24 months, and let's tell me again that trust isn't a problem, because it is. We find it repeatedly throughout, uh, throughout history that trust is a problem. And I saw yesterday online somewhere, and I thought it was a good, a good point being made. It said, if you ever thought about how you would behave during the Holocaust or during wartime, and their response was, you know by looking at what you're doing right now how you would respond. How would you respond in this situation, this situation? Well, how are we responding now? You look here, think about some trust issues. When you rely on yourself alone, you show God you do not trust Him when you rely on yourself alone, you show God you do not trust Him. How do you show? Now, this is one way. There are some, or some other ways that you show you have trust issues with God. And I say trust issues because people today do have trust issues with God. And then they may have trust issues with others, but they definitely do have them with God. Another set of reasons here we're going to look at that some people have trust issues with God is that you are not faithful to Him. How can you have trust in someone who you're not faithful to? It is impossible to show your faithfulness, show your faithfulness by your unfaithfulness to God. You cannot show God how faithful you are while you're being unfaithful. One of the most frustrating things to hear is how someone talks about how faithful they are, how much they love God, while they're actively being unfaithful to Him. Stop telling me how much you love God when people haven't seen you in a very long time, when you haven't opened your Bible up anymore, when you don't even know what time services begin. Are you going to tell me how faithful you are? Friends, more importantly, not only did I not believe it, but neither does God. God is not, is not easily fooled. He's not fooled at all, is He? We find throughout the Bible where people try to fool God, right? Remember what happened to Ananias and Sapphira? When they sold that possession, they had determined they would give a certain portion back to God, but they didn't. The Bible tells us they did not do that. Peter calls them out and says, you haven't lied to men, but what they did, but more importantly, they had lied also to God. What happened to them? They both died because they tried to fool God. And there's probably a whole host of reasons behind that. I think one of the big reasons behind what Ananias and Sapphira did is they did not trust God enough. We can't give them this much. we got to hold something back for ourselves. Well, it would cost them. But we cannot say that we are faithful to God while we are actively being unfaithful to God. Another way we show our trust issues with God is you do not pray to God as you should. It is, again, impossible to have a relationship with someone that you do not talk to. How can we say we have a, a faithful relationship, to use that term, with God, when we never talk to Him? Can you imagine going throughout your day and never talking to your spouse and then saying, well, yeah, we love that person. Do you talk to him? Well, no, not really. It's going to be hard to convince them of that, isn't it? Well, it's something different with God. How can you say you are faithful to God and you love Him, that He is important to you, when you never go to Him in prayer? Another trust issue is, some, is this. You don't read and study as you should. 
you don't read and study as you should, it's impossible to really know God if you don't try to know Him. How can you know someone personally if you don't try to know them? Well, how can you know God if you don't try to know Him? God is always interested in us, but friends, sometimes we're not nearly as interested in Him. And our, our fourth one for today, if you think about this, is you don't make God a priority. It's impossible to show God how important He is when He is not important. The first person to know that God is not important is God. You ever think about that? The first person to know how, how little you care about Him is God. He's the very first person. He's the first person to know how little you talk to Him, how little you know about Him, by how little you open up your Bibles. He knows how, how unfaithful you are to Him. He's the very first one. Before others catch on, God is already way ahead of it. He's already got where you are. He knows where you are. Trust issues are a big reason why people do not allow God to be their shepherd. Another set of reasons here is your belief that your beliefs are right. Your belief that your beliefs are right. That your way has to be the exactly the right way. That well, and you can plot this in various different ways, but look at the thing about this. I don't see anything wrong with it. I get tired of hearing people say that. I don't think I'm the only one. When they condone sin and say, I don't see anything wrong with it. Well, I'm not doing it, but you know they can do whatever they want, but I'm not doing it. I'm not going to con condemn them for it. That is not something that's going to be pleasing to God. Look at Isaiah 55 and verse 9. He says, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts and your thoughts. Just because you don't see anything wrong with it doesn't mean God is okay with it. We understand God... His, his teachings are on a much higher plane of morality. But friends, ours should be reaching up to that same plane. We want that same standard of morality of what is right and what is wrong. Not, well, I don't see anything wrong with it. We look at Isaiah 55 verse 9. The Lord says here that His ways are higher than our ways. That's why people will say things like, I don't see anything wrong with it. Why? Because our thoughts oftentimes do not match His. When God condemns something, we should condemn it as well. And when God encourages us to do something, we should encourage ourselves and others to do the same thing. We should be opposed to what God is opposed to. The belief that your beliefs are right, it's easier and more convenient this way, is what I hear people sometimes say. This is just easier. We just do it this way. You go back and look at Malachi chapter 1 and verse 13. Malachi chapter 1, by the way, is just an incredible chapter. None unlike other books of the Bible that have incredible chapters, but it's one that just calls people out left and right, left and right for their things, for the things they're doing. And look at verse 13. He says here, you also say, what? You say, oh, what a weariness. You say, what a weariness. And what he's referencing is they're saying, offering up things to God is too hard and complicated just not if you read what God required of them. And you sneer at it, says the Lord of hosts, and you bring the stolen, the lame, and the sick. Thus you bring an offering. And also a rhetorical question, should I accept this from your hand, says the Lord? Should I be pleased with that? You just bring whatever you want? 
You know, there's a common phrase that goes around a lot anymore with among denominations, and it has snuck into some congregations of the Lord's Church. The idea is, come as you are, everyone's accepted. We understand we need to put that in context. Yes, come as you are. We sing the song, Just As I Am. But that song and the scriptures do not teach, stay the way you are. It's about coming as you are so that you can become a better person and leave a better person. So when you come back again, you're not the same person. Come as you are is a very faulty way of looking at things. Because we're not designed, we're not by the scriptures, not to stay that way. We come to change, not come to be accepted by the world. We have people down the street saying that very same thing. You're loved, you're accepted. You're loved and accepted here. You're loved and want you to accept the truth of what? We can all get to God and be with God in heaven, right? We're not accepting sin. We're not condoning sin. We're not overlooking it. We're not ignoring it. It's easier and more convenient this way. It's not something you find supported by the Bible. Your beliefs, that your beliefs are right. Some will say, I don't think it's sin, so I don't care. I don't see anything wrong with it. You know, in Judges chapter 21 and verse 25, they had that same mentality. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did was right in his own eyes. That's not spoken of in a positive context. They were condemned because they did whatever they thought was right. What is through this? What is through this? Think about, you know, the man who offered a profane fire to God. What happened? They died because they thought, well, we'll just do it this way. And the list of people who did such things goes on and on and on. Every single one of them paid the price for their sins. Just because you don't think it's sin and you don't care because you don't think it's a sin doesn't make it right. Your belief that your beliefs are right, our final one here, no one knows. No one knows. No one's going to find out. Look at Psalm 94, beginning in verse 7. Here he says, Yet they say the Lord does not see, nor does the God of Jacob understand. You know, they're saying the same thing people are saying today. No one knows. It's going to hurt anybody. God knows. Look at verse 8. Understand, he says, you senseless among the people, and you fools, when you'll be wise. It's like saying, when do we not understand that God sees everything? The Lord does not see? That's incorrect. He doesn't understand? That's incorrect. That's what he's pointing out in verse 8. When will you be wise? Look at verse 9. He who planted the ear, shall he not hear? He who formed the eye, shall he not see? He instructs the nation, shall he not correct? He who teaches man knowledge? Does God not know and is fully aware of what is going on? Absolutely he is. Each and every day, in each and every life, God knows what is going on. Friends, if God knows what is going on, should that tell us that God knows that we need Him very, very badly? That we need to go to Him in prayer? That we need to give our life to Him in obedience to the gospel? That we need to, to bring our cares and concerns to Him? God sees that we need us, that we need Him, rather. But He, does, but he also sees so many times that we refuse to give ourselves over to Him and use that term. And we do that by being the gospel. We give ourselves over to God by obeying the gospel and putting our our faith and our loyalty all in God. We have warnings as well concerning these types of things. Warnings about attitudes towards God in the church. If you think about things you have seen over the years, 
And maybe sometimes if we're honest, we see it in ourselves. Some of the same, these same things we've already talked about, some things we're about to talk about. The first thing is that God in a church is not a panic button. He's not the one we go to just when things are bad, just when things get scary. We should always be there. We should always be with God. God is there for the faithful, not the rebellious person in need. He wants the rebellious person in need to stop being rebellious, rebellious, come to him, and then they'll find help from God, but not before. There are those today who believe they can be rebellious to God, and they'll come to him and then and knock on the door, and God will answer all their prayers. And in reality, we have the saints who pray for those individuals many times, but the idea that God's going to bless them while they're in sin, not going to happen. God may answer the prayers of the saints, but those who are rebellious, rebelling to God, it doesn't happen. He hears the prayers of the faithful. He responds to the prayers of the faithful. But we want God to hear us, our own individual prayers. We have to be faithful to God. That's why many times we pray for those who are, who are outside, who are not living as they should be, because we want, God, we want God to take care of them. We want to help them come back to God. But their prayers, until they come back to God in faithfulness to Him, in true repentance, and having themselves humble before God, they're not going to find help from God. The rebellious person in need, God does not, does not find favor, nor does He grant them blessings. We find this also in the book of Ephesians chapter 1. If you don't like it when people come, only come to you when they need something, imagine how God must feel. Have you ever had those in your life who only come to you when things that need something from you? And it's very, it's very hurtful, isn't it? Now, many times we, we, we help them because we want to help them because we want to change that pattern of what, what's going on and try to get closer to, to them. And sometimes that doesn't work. That pattern just keeps on keeping on. We think about it on a much bigger scale how God must feel when we treat Him like that. And that's what happens when we treat God like a panic button. And as we approach this certain time of the year, no better time to remind people that God is bigger than He quote holidays, isn't He? Holidays, something is this traditions of men. Holiday meaning it's a holy day. Well, Christmas from the scriptures is not a holy day. But by tradition, some of you remember the birth of Christ. If we're honest, we do that all the time, not just once, one day a year. And don't get me wrong, I don't, I don't have a problem with people wanting to give gifts to one another and spend time with family. That's great. Use that time. Do you get off because of tradition to do so? But honor as the birth of Christ, the Bible doesn't support that. But what happens during these holidays, so to speak? People who haven't seen in years start to come back a little bit sometimes, don't they, right? They have those who come with their mother, they, bring their, they come with their parents, they bring their parents, they bring their grandparents, whatever, which is good to see them. I'm not saying don't come, but isn't God bigger than that? Isn't he much more important than just those few days? God certainly is. If you want to be faithful to God, it'll, be, it'll take more than coming on days tradition says are important. One can only imagine how life would be if God only showed up for the important days, what would happen if God only showed up for the important days? And let's think about this for a second. It, it would be based upon what God deemed as being important, right? What would happen if God only showed up on those days, which means that he's not there every, every single day, 24 hours a day, seven days a week? What would happen in your own 
life. Prayers would go unheard, wouldn't they? Prayers would go unanswered. Madness and, and confusion would reign in our lives. But aren't you glad that God is better than that? That he's not there just on the, quote, big days. That he's always there for us. You know, Christ tells us towards the end of the Great Commission, you find the phrase, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He's speaking to the disciple or to the apostles there, for those who would be the apostles, rather. And, but it applies to us today. Is God with us today? Yes. Is he with us every single day? Yes. The Bible tells us that through the scriptures, he's there with us every single day. We just saw how the Lord sees all, the, all that we do, as we saw back there in the book of Psalms, in Psalm 94. So God is always there with us. And something else, if you think about some dangers concerning and some warnings about attitudes towards the church and towards God, friends, you cannot blame others for your own unfaithfulness. There's a lot of things that really discourage when we talk to those who are not doing they should be doing. When they start blaming others for their own unfaithfulness, you can't do it. You can say it, but it doesn't work. You can blame the preacher. I've been there. You can blame other members. I've heard that. You can blame various things that have been said over the years. Just keep reaching for reasons not to come back to God. How sad is that? Because we think about what we lose over things that ultimately are, is no one's fault but our own. Your own unfaithfulness is your own fault. No one can make you disobey God. It is your choice. You go back to one of the most well-known verses in all the Bible, Joshua chapter 24, right? When he says those words, choose for yourselves this day you will serve, right? Joshua 24, verse 15. Choose for yourselves this day. We have to choose to obey God. Church buildings do not move overnight. I've heard I've had to tell people that before. They didn't really like it. Let's see how the building hasn't moved. The times haven't changed. It's right there on the sign. You get the bulletin by mail. I know you know where we are, what time we meet. Friends, we have to stop making excuses for our own shortcomings. If we are not faithful to God, it's up to us to correct it. Either you choose to follow God or you don't. Either you choose to follow God or you don't. Excuses for the unfaithful are for, excuse me, excuses are for the unfaithful, not for those who love God, which means those who are not faithful to God, those are the ones you hear all excuses from, right? And don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying when you're sick and you stay home that you're unfaithful. That's something I'm talking about. We're talking about those who could be here all they wanted, could be here today. Those who decided that, you know what, God is not important, so I'm not going to be there. Well, excuses are for those who are unfaithful to God. It's up to us to decide what really is important in our lives today. Some lessons for us today. Obeying the gospel is just the beginning, isn't it? That's just the beginning of our life. You know, sometimes we, we see that stair step ladder of hear, believe, repent, confess, be baptized. And that last step is be baptized. In reality, it's remain faithful to God, isn't it? We, it's a continual action. So it's not five steps. It's a, it's a staircase, isn't it? With remain faithful going all the way up until the Lord returns until, or until our heart gives out. 
Obeying the gospel is just the beginning. When you obey the scriptures, the life of faith begins. One would do well to start with the basics of faithfulness and from here build up their faith. Which means when we obey the gospel, we build up from there, which is exactly what Second Peter one verse five and Second uh, Peter one verse five and following is about, isn't it? Building up your faith. He says, giving all diligence, add to your faith. That's where it begins, and it goes on from there, right? Virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, they are a part of who you are. You will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things, that is, those who don't add to their faith these things, he says, is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. I think about this, but they've forgotten they have once obeyed the gospel. There are those today who seem to have forgotten they once obeyed the gospel. We have to think about these things and be mindful of them. We want to be those who are willing to correct these things if we are going to be faithful to God. So obeying the gospel is just the beginning. Our second point, which I think really kind of, some of these really kind of include a lot of what we talked about already. Those who think they deserve heaven, don't. Because there are those today who believe that they have earned the right to go to heaven. You don't earn the right to go to heaven, do you? No, it is given to you by God. The entrance, is, the Bible says, is supplied to you by God. We obey the gospel. We continue to obey the gospel. The entrance of, to, into the heavenly home is supplied to us. We don't earn it. Earn means you've done something to make it yours, that you have, hurt, you have, you have obtained this because something you have done. No, we don't earn heaven. We get it as a, as a result, as a reward of our obedience to the gospel and that continual obedience. The Bible tells us the entrance to heaven is supplied to us. Heaven is referred to as a reward because we are remaining faithful to God, not because we have earned it. No one goes to heaven because they have earned it. Often, it's the most unfaithful people who think this way. There are those who we are not being faithful to God as they should. And those are the ones who, a lot of times, not always, because there are others, but those are the ones oftentimes who believe they have earned heaven. You know, it's hard to argue for heaven when your life is in opposition to the very way, to the very path that leads to heaven. It's hard to argue that you deserve to go there when you're going down the wrong path the entire way. You imagine going down the highway, going south, and you should be going north, and saying, well, I'm going north the whole time you're walking south. And saying, I'm going to be over there because that's what I deserve to be, even though you're walking clearly the wrong direction. That is not how we get to heaven. We don't earn it. It is a reward for being faithful to God. God is your only hope. He wants you to be saved. Matthew 23, 37. Remember, we mentioned that earlier, right? What did God want them to do there in verse 37? To come under his wings. But what happened? But you are not willing. God wants you to be saved. He wants mankind to have heaven as their home. But isn't it interesting that no matter how much God has done for us, and we understand God has done a lot to put it in very small, simple terms, that no matter how much God has done for us, it doesn't mean that we're going to go to heaven. 
Just because Christ died on the cross doesn't mean we necessarily get to go to heaven. Just because God wants us to be saved doesn't mean we're going to be saved. Because we're going to have to, this requires actions from us. He wants to gather us together, as, uh, as he says here, as hands gather her chicks under her wings. But they weren't willing. We want to be under the wing of God. We must be willing. We want to be saved. We must be those who obey the gospel. He wants you to have the forgiveness of your sins. God wants you to have the forgiveness of your sins. He wants you to have those things removed from your life. You look at 2 Peter 3 and verse 9. Look what Peter says here. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. What did the Bible just say that God wants for you? He wants you to be forgiven of your sins. Not willing that any should perish. He wants you to go to heaven. But that all should come to repentance. He wants your sins forgiven. God wants you to be with him. But we have to ask ourselves, like we've been talking about this morning, is that where we really want to be? Because it has to be more than just words, doesn't it? It has to be actions. As we close this morning, if you are not allowing God to be your shepherd, you must ask yourself why. If he is not your guide, why not? We, allow, we make God our guide when we obey the gospel. We make God our guide when we hear the word of God, we believe it, and because of what we have believed, we repent of our sins, we confess that Christ is the Son of God, we are immersed in baptism, and at baptism our sins are washed away, Acts 2.38, and at baptism we are placed in the body of Christ, which is the church, Galatians 3.27. And then remain faithful to God. Revelation 2.10, John 14.15. You know, we, we quote all that. We say all that. None of those things are difficult to do. None of those things are things that are beyond our reach to do. We just have to decide that's what we want to do and to continue to do those things. If he is not your shepherd, you must ask yourself why. If you have a hard time convincing others of your reasons for not being faithful, it will be impossible for Christ to be convinced on Judgment Day. If you can't convince others, why do we think we're going to convince Christ? Let's be honest. You can't convince Christ of anything because he already knows the truth about you. You're not going to be able to sway him one way or the other, right? You know, I've heard one of my managers from years ago say, well, you know, I just hope God will understand. I thought, Wow. You just said that? You hope God understands. He just said, I hope I go to heaven and this doesn't keep me from doing it. That's what he meant. Right? And what else can you mean by that when you say, I hope God understands? I hope I go to heaven. Friends, we can have much more than just that. At the end of the day, man must choose to follow God no matter what and choose to do so today. We choose to follow God. There are a lot of things that can tempt us. There's a lot of stress. There's a lot of worry. There's a lot of concern. There, there are different ones each and every day. But friends, God is there with us each and every day. The book of Lamentation reminds us that the mercies of God are new every morning and that great is his faithfulness. If we want God to be our shepherd, we have to actually make a deliberate effort to allow him to do so. God doesn't force himself upon anyone. 
No, he is invited in, isn't he? We don't mean invited in the sense like our denominational friends mean we invite him in. We mean we, we obey the gospel and we allow him to be our shepherd. And that way we invite him into our lives to be the one who guides us, guards us, as the psalmist says, and directs us by his word. But we want him to do that, friends, we have to choose and deliberately decide to allow him to do that. This morning, as you think about these things, we can encourage you or help you in any way. You can come forward.